0: okay uh yeah
1: it says at the top it says leo is recording the call
0: fantastic does that work yes yay um i don't know i have no idea what that hold on what does that mean that i'm recording the call all right so this this will be an experiment for both of us absolutely i don't know uh how the sound will uh turn out Okay. But uh, I, I'm excited. It'll at least I know it's recording. Cool. Um, all right. So welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. I have the amazing, talented, uh, and cerebral uh, Lee Bear, Doctor Lee Bear here. Um, and I say here, but she's actually in Alabama. Wait, what, where in Alabama are you?
1: That's right. I am in Birmingham.
0: Birmingham, Alabama. Yep. Uh, so we're doing this via Skype, I and mean, this is my first Skype um, podcast. So the sound might be different, and I have uh, really no idea what I'm doing, but <laughs> I'm excited, and this seems fun. Um, oh, there she is! Look at that. Oh,
1: did I just turn on the video?
0: <laughs> Look at that.
1: <laughs> new. Hey.
0: That's exciting. <laughs> Uh, but as always, always like to start off every podcast with uh, the number for the Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline. And that is one 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255, or 1-800-784-2433. This podcast is not um, uh, a replacement for you actually going to therapy or getting help or going to group, or talking to someone uh, personally or over the phone, um, make the phone call, talk to someone. I'm amazed, Dr. Bear, at, um, I was looking at stats, and they were saying how, like, 50% of people who uh, complete suicide have actually never uh, gotten help or sought help, Yeah. you know, and yeah. so it's just, a, that's a lot of people just falling through the cracks who've never had uh, it's it never stood a chance. who never had an opportunity to, um, find another way to, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to cope with what they're going through. Um, Absolutely. and Dr. Lee, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, uh, how long you've been practicing, yeah. what your modality is and, and all that good stuff.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So I'm a clinical psychologist um, and that means that I have a PhD in clinical psychology um, and have been licensed as a psychologist since 2008, which would be about 10, a little over 10 years. Um, I'm actually, most of my training has been with kids and adolescents, but I've seen kind of across the board, kids, adolescents, adults. For a variety of different things, whether it's depression, anxiety, ADHD, school stuff, that kind of thing. Um, I teach psychology right now and um, do some work with testing, kind of trying to help people figure out like what's going on in terms of school problems or mood um, or that kind of stuff. And then my husband is actually also a psychologist. (laughs) So we're two psychologists uh, (laughs) raising children, which is interesting. Um, we always tell people our kids are either, you know, they're probably going to be messed up and have their own issues as adults, but at least we'll have contacts to kind of refer them out, um, and help them get the help they need. But we're raising three, we have three boys, two are teenagers, one's a 10 year old. So life is busy, but good.
0: Busy and full, right? Like it's, I, I find yeah. that, um, I do not do well when I'm not busy, when I don't have things in my calendar, when I don't have, uh, when I don't have things planned and scheduled, like I'm just, I just yeah, unhinge yeah. immediately. Uh, do, yeah, you, do you absolutely, find that absolutely. for yourself also? Yeah,
1: you know, and I think too, I mean, one of the things that I have done just in my professional life that's obviously carried over to my personal life is that. I very much, like you said, believe in a schedule. I think we all respond well to having a schedule. I think kids respond well, especially I do a lot of work with parents and kids respond well to having a schedule. They don't know, like it. My kids don't wake up and go, yeah, I get to go to school today. But when it's, you know, when it's time to go to school, they know kind of what to expect and where to be. And, you know, um, we I think we all do better when we have kind of a routine
0: I, for us. I took a hot yoga class this morning, and uh-huh. I hate, hate scheduling the yoga class, <laughs> but I yeah. love taking the yoga class. You know what I'm saying? Like right. I hate the idea of like Absolutely. I do this thing at a certain time, but then when I do it, I'm just right. so glad I showed up and went through the practice, and you know didn't give in to my. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: Nine-year-old self.
1: <laughs> and there's something, there's something about kind of looking at the schedule and going, "Oh, do I really have to do that today?" But it's like you said, it's good to have that thing to do, and especially something that's productive and helpful for you know your physical health and your mental health, like yoga.
0: Having three boys, and you know, being a mother and a wife, uh, w- what are some of the challenges that uh you you have right now that you also see families who are coming into you with is that is that yeah a question makes well,
1: sense? yeah absolutely i mean i think one of the biggest challenges is something that you know we're all faced with which is trying to figure out how to use our time okay. you know we all have the same 24 hours in a day we all you know, are busy and have stuff that falls by the wayside and how do we determine what takes priority in this given minute? You know, what takes priority for the day? What takes priority for this half of the day? um, And how do we best structure that? You know, having kids, they take a lot of priority um, trying to make sure that, you know, their needs get met and that we're taking care of them and, and that kind of stuff. But we also have our own you know, individual needs. Um, I do have a marriage that I would like to try to keep going. I have my own personal things that I'm trying to work on. Um, so yeah, it just kind of juggling. And I think families, you know, I think the families that I work with are all kind of struggling with different versions of that. We all have, you know different resources or lack thereof and trying to figure out how to make the most of the time we have.
0: When you say, your needs get met, what, how are you, how are you defining needs? Because I, I, I often, even myself, I get confused between needs and wants. Like, do I need this or do I want that? And, um, right what, and, and I, and also I think people struggle with meeting their needs because they feel like it's selfish. I have a lot of friends of mine and clients yeah. who they feel guilty for taking care of their right. own, their own needs met.
1: Absolutely. Um, That is a hard question to answer. You know, I I, I would argue that, um, you know, obviously you have there. So there was a there's a psychologist whose name is Maslow and he comes from like, do you know about Maslow? He comes from like a humanistic perspective. Yeah, exactly. So he has like a hierarchy of needs. And so you think about it kind of that way, right? You want your basic needs met first, like does everybody have something to eat? You know, do you have like money to pay the bills, that kind of thing. And then you move forward. Um, I think though, that gives us like a good broad perspective, but I think in the day to day, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, if I have a free hour at my house, do I want to do something professional development wise, like try to do some research or do I want to go do a load of laundry? You know, what, (laughs) what, do the kids have clothes to wear to school tomorrow? Do I have something to wear to wear? You know, like, where does that fall on the needs um, platform? And it's, it, I mean, it is kind of a hard judgment to make. Um, mm-hmm. But I think taking care of your physical health and your mental health really should take precedence over a lot of other stuff.
0: It, you know, I, I was just thinking today um, uh, when I was walking out of yoga, how you know, it's like, here I am, uh, you know, I start my day off with yoga, but there's somebody who's starting their Mm -hmm. day off, you know, taking care of their kids and somebody else starting their day off sending out emails for their business. And I I realized the same way, there's not a hierarchy of pain. There's also not a hierarchy Mm -hmm. of priority. So, you know, taking care of my physical body, that's important to me to start my day off with where someone else sending out the emails or writing their book at in the first thing in the morning. That's important to them. So you're right, it really does vary from person to person and you it and no sure. one's need is more important than the other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it changes, you know, as life changes, your what how you start your day, how you structure your day changes. Um, you know, I I mean, I remember when our kids were babies, we, you know, the baby cries and you have to get going. And now it's like, I have to wake up the kids to go to school, but I have to have a cup of coffee first. Um, And so, you know, really trying to kind of figure all that out as we go. But like you said, I mean, we all bring our own kind of priorities and and things that we're focusing on to the table that can help guide those decisions.
0: How do you help Uh, you know, having three boys and they have a lot of needs. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as life dictates, you can't always get your needs met. How do you uh, teach them how to cope with those instances where their needs aren't getting met? Like what are some of those strategies or coping skills for
1: that? That's a great question. Um, One of the things that we try to focus on as parents and I guess just as psychologists is we really try to focus on communication, you know, because they have, I'm sure, plenty of needs that I don't even know about because they, you know, getting them to talk, getting teenage boys to talk is um, an interesting challenge to say the least. Right. Um, And so, you know, I mean, we always say, look, if I don't know that this is something that you need or something that you're thinking about, you know, I can't help you. Um, But I also think it's important as we're raising children to let them know just because you have a need, it might be a want and no, it might not necessarily get met. You know, you may think, oh, I need to win this game to be successful. Well, no, you probably don't because there are really more lessons to be learned in the challenges and kind of not having your needs met. It's a hard balance though. I mean, like it's hard for all of us as adults, you know, if you have something that you're really thinking I need to get this next job or I need to, um, win the lottery, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out and we have to kind of figure out a way to adapt and adjust. So trying to look at like those big picture, lessons. Um, and it's, I mean, it's difficult, you know, and they get frustrated and don't quite understand, well, why can't we, you know, go on this vacation or why can't I get these, you know, whatever the hot new item is that everybody else is getting. Cause you're going to get tired of it in a month and I don't want to yeah. spend the money on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it you know, uh, something that really important that you said there was, you know, what are the lessons to be learned in not getting your needs met? And um because right. I've been traveling so much for stand up and work, Um, uh, like I'm not able to, you know, see my my girl that, you know, we've been dating for a while uh-huh. and I really get to see her. Yeah. And I was like, I have options here. You know, I could just break it off because I'm like, we never see each other. So I'm not getting, you know, right. my emotional needs met, and my physical needs met and all that stuff. Or I can say. What can I do in the meantime? Like, because I'm not always going to get my needs met. I'm not always going to be able to see her when I want to see her. So what am I going to do? You know, whether it's five days or one day, it feels like forever. And I, it really forced me to come up with strategies for how to, to, you know, I get massages when I'm on the road, I take a hot bath, I, uh, I, I, I take group classes so that I feel mm-hmm. camaraderie and connection with people, and so it's really forced yeah. me to, to to do things that I otherwise probably would not have done if I was able to rely on, uh, you know, just you know, being around her, having her around, right.
1: Right, exactly. Right. And I mean, then that kind of goes back to this idea that there's not, you know, there's not one way to have certain things, right? You're in a relationship. There's not like one specific path that says you have to be with that person, you know, all day, every day, or you even you have to see that person every day or, you know, talk to that person every day. There's not just one path and trying to figure out how, you can make that work, um, and and be flexible and change it up. I mean, I think in today's world we get so rigid that, and then we think, well, it's not working. Okay, I'm done. You know, that need isn't met, so therefore I'm you know upset about it. But really, trying to look at things with a little bit more flexibility.
0: Absolutely. What um, the the parents who are coming into you with kids and, and families, what what's uh, their main issue. What what is it that they really want to talk to you about?
1: Um one of the biggest thing well, I mean I see a lot of kids for like school related difficulties, problems at school, uh, whatever that may be. Now right, that right. that may be like attention, that may be mood, depression, that kind of stuff. Um but but ultimately, you know, I think <laughs> I think it really boils down to that families and people in general really struggle with communication and trying to figure out, you know, how to communicate with each other in a way that makes everybody feel heard and understood. Um, I think that's a struggle for a lot of families. I think that's a struggle for a lot of adults Um, and trying to figure out, you know, best how to understand each other.
0: And so what are some of those things? because, you know, I I know there's a Mm -hmm. lot of parents who listen and uh, and have children and they they don't know how to communicate with their kids um, when, you know, when the issues arise. And there are kids who are listening who don't know how to communicate to their parents. Like what? How do we communicate so that we do feel heard and um, understood?
1: Yeah. Well, I think you know, I think the the first thing is that that you have to try to be okay with starting what what may ultimately be, be a scary conversation. It doesn't have to be scary. I mean you might not be wanting to disclose something really deep and meaningful, but just find a way to kind of start, you know, the words coming out. Um, I tell my kids a lot and you know I Sort of given this some thought, especially with teenagers trying to get them to communicate. It's like just start by saying something, you know, start by producing words. But we also have to, especially as parents, we have to try to model how to listen, you know, and to really hear what our kids are saying, what each other are saying um, in such a way that they do feel heard. And that, you know, a lot of our training as therapists involves what we call active listening, which are trying to do that exemplify the fact that we are hearing what the other person is saying, even if we don't necessarily understand it. it. So trying to do some reflection, you know, so what you're saying is this, without providing any kind of judgment, but just really to try to make sure that the other person feels heard and that we can try to demonstrate some of that empathy. Um, I think it starts in families. I think there are a lot of kids that grow up in families that just don't communicate. And that makes it really hard as adults for them to develop those skills, to have those conversations, you know, like you were talking about in your relationship, being able to have a conversation and say, you know, I, I miss seeing you um, mm-hmm. and, and being okay with that and not having that be just a deal break. Yes. I have to travel for work and not having that be just a deal breaker, but how can we, Kind of come together um so trying to help families with that because as parents we want to protect our kids of course and so i think a lot of parents are reluctant to talk to their kids about things which then tells kids okay no i shouldn't talk about anything that's scary or that's bothering me because we just don't talk about it Uh, but it's of course a fine line like you don't want to share too much with your kids um, because, you know, you don't want to traumatize them by giving them too much information, whatever's age appropriate. Right. Um, but keeping those lines of communication open, I think is so important.
0: Can you give me, because, you know, some of the skills in terms of listening, because I suck at listening. I realize that now. Just, <laughs> like, the. I mean, I'm better now, but I, I'm i better now because <laughs> I realized I was awful at it. and um, yeah. Uh, and like you said, it comes from, you know, uh, the way I was raised and my family, not really, uh, we weren't big on communicating. And especially as a teenage boy mm-hmm. raised by my mom, I didn't say much. But can you give yeah. us examples of, you said one of the skills is reflection or reflecting. What Can you give us an uh-huh. example of that and what that means and how to use that uh, so we have more clarity on on that for the listeners? I think.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So just, you know, so what I would do, like in this example would say, would say, you know, so Leo, it sounds like you grew up in a household that was not necessarily as focused on communication. And when you were a teenager, you were kind of, you know, withdrawn and didn't communicate with your mother. And so that has affected you as an adult. Now, it sounds like you have some self-awareness and are able to recognize that listening is a skill that you need to try to work on and develop. Does that make sense?
0: So yeah, what you're really absolutely.
1: trying to do is to, yeah, to, you're not necessarily repeating, right, like a robot, like this is what you said word for word, but really trying to, I mean, and I hope that's what you got out of what I just did. is Absolute,
0: to, Absolutely, absolutely. Know, that I
1: heard what you were saying.
0: It's it's just like, you know, it's going to have you write a paper and, uh, you know, they want you to, like, paraphrase what you've read or paraphrase the chapter. Right. It's that same kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. And
1: yeah.
0: The, the other thing that I like that you put in there, the the, the strong emphasis seems to be it sounds like it versus this is what you said, this and which All is right. what typically do. Well, you said this or you yeah. said that versus right. it sounded like you said. or. Exactly. Um, in some of the books I've read it's- on negotiation, uh, I'm sorry, I have to you, but uh-huh. it, uh, no, go ahead. They said if you use, if you try to use the word that uh, they that they use, meaning some people are big on sound, and some people are big on feeling, and some people are big on um, uh, some people are visionaries, like they 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 re- they respond more visually. So if you know you could say it sounds like or you could say it looks like for someone who's more visual or right. it feels like for someone who's more emotional there's a fourth one i forget what it is but but if you're in that realm of reflecting back using it sounds like it looks like it feels like
1: yeah, absolutely. Because really, I mean, and especially as a therapist, you know, it's it's my interpretation, right, of what your tel- your experience is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like if you started yelling and saying we didn't talk when I was a kid, then I could say, you know, wow, it feels like you're really angry. Like if well, that's what I, it fe- I, I, I don't know that you're angry, right, because I'm not throwing that emotion on you. But that's how it feels to me, yeah. you know, listening to you talk like that
0: that's so powerful because uh, you're you're taking ownership for it and you're not attacking and you, it it also gives a sense that you want to understand and are seeking clarity and want to get to the root of this uh, yeah. in a very safe and and, and healthy way. Absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you for yeah, for the reflection. And then in terms of empathy, like yeah. how, how do we <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like that that seems to be like, you know, so powerful because, you know, a lot of times we get into arguments and disagree, and we just say, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I get it. And it's like, do you get it? Uh-huh. Oh, and, right.
1: I don't think, so yeah. Do I'm sorry you got upset by what I said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Communicating empathy is really hard because you can't community, you have to really feel the empathy, right? I mean, you have, it has to be genuine. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you don't feel it, if you don't empathize, there's nothing genuine about yelling, I'm sorry at somebody. Um, and, and so, you know, part of it I think is, is kind of slowing down and, and taking a step back and trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes as you're communicating. Um, To be able to, you know, to be able to apologize, to be able to say, wow, you know, I I really am kind of touched by your experience and and kind of feel that. Um, I do think that empathy is important and probably, you know, probably one of the hardest things just in the regular kind of day to day communication that we have, because none of us really. I mean, to be real, we don't necessarily want to empathize with everybody, right? We want to have our own viewpoint heard. um, And why won't you listen to me? I don't need to listen to you, but I need you to listen to me. Um, So it can be hard to, to kind of practice that. But really trying to... I think remember, you know, that we're all people and that starts with kids, you know, I mean, even though I feel like I wish I had more control over my kids, sometimes it's like, well, they're little individuals that I'm, you know, I'm putting them out into the world um, and trying to appreciate that, you know, everybody is an individual and has, you know, their own thoughts and their own ideas and to try to look at it from a, from a bigger picture.
0: So, um, in terms of communication, we've been talking about how to talk to others. Are there communication strategies and skills in terms of how we talk to ourselves? And mm-hmm. I, I bring this up because you know, uh, in therapy, um I, I don't know if I got it in therapy or one of my in a book that I read, but you know, there's this whole big in terms of self affirmation, people saying, "I am this, I am that," and blah blah. And then I remember reading somewhere, someone was like, use your name instead. So Leo Flowers is peaceful. Leo Flowers is calm, blah, 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 uh-huh. blah. And, uh, and not that you have to speak to that, but what are some ways when we are spewing negative thoughts towards ourselves, when our inner voices, how do we respond to that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a great question. And that from a therapy perspective is a lot of what I do in terms of looking at those thoughts, looking at the cognitions, the way that we think, because we all have thoughts. We all have lots of thoughts. We're all having, you know, tons of thoughts at any given moment, but most of the time we don't stop and think about them. Right. And so like when I talk about this to clients, I'll say, you know, stop for a second and think about what you're thinking about. And they'll go, huh. You know, they've never really done that before because it's so much kind of trying to get through the day. But once you stop and really look at how you think, then we start to see patterns in the way that people think about themselves and make interpretations about the world around them. And so we find like with depression, for example, that people get into really negative mindset about themselves so, you know, they may um, oversleep and miss the alarm and then they wake up and the first thing they think is, God, I'm so lazy. I'm so dumb for oversleeping. You know, now I'm going to be late for work and it's going to be disastrous and every, it's going to be a horrible day. Well, they had not even gotten out of bed, right? But we have these automatic thoughts that affect us. Um, and so part of what we do in um cognitive therapy is to try to help people look at the way that they think about things for, in a more objective way in a way that doesn't provide that negative judgment that negative mindset and kind of you know become this all-encompassing you know rain cloud that follows them around like the old um medication commercial used to do yeah, you know to, right yeah exactly right um you know, I tell my students, it's like when you, you know, we've all failed a test at some point. Well, some of us maybe more than others, but we've all failed a test at some point, right? And then you get the test back and you go from, I failed the test to, you know, I'm going to be a homeless person living on the street, um, and just become an alcoholic, and it's like, well, wait, now, how did you go from doing poorly on a test that you, to be honest, didn't even study for? Right. You didn't even try. And now yeah. you're living under a bridge. Why it had to happen? And maybe that happens. I mean, I I don't know, but I don't know of a lot of surveys that would indicate that you know, those types of problems are only because of failing a test. So really trying to look at you know, how we think about things and kind of, you know, trying to change some of that and make it more adaptive and healthy and, you know, more objective, like how an outsider would look at us. I mean, people say things to themselves that they would never allow other people to say to them. You know, they, they look internally and think about how worthless they are. And we would never put up with you know, watching somebody say, well, you're a worthless human being and not intervene and do something.
0: Yeah. How do you objectify that voice? Uh, you know, uh, I, I read somewhere, you know, there's the strategy of, of like zooming in and zooming out and, um, uh, or like you said, uh, imagining um, if, if, you, you know, someone was saying the things to you that you were saying, what what are, are there other strategies in terms of, objectifying that voice and really detaching yourself because you know when you get into that narrow that that downward spiral it's it's in your even when i'm aware of it it's so like
1: (sighs) absolutely yeah (laughs) right absolutely and it's like it's kind of like you know that you shouldn't be that you know you know you shouldn't be eating those bag of potato chips but you're eating them anyway right Mm -hmm. you know you shouldn't be thinking this way but you do it anyway um and, and what we, I mean, how we approach it in terms of therapy is really getting people to write stuff down. Like I tell clients, you know, we're doing homework. It's like, this is like a school exercise and they go, well, I, you know, I'm not paying you to do homework. <laughs> like, well, but here's the deal. Like you can, you're like, wait a minute, what did I sign up for? Um, but here's the deal. You have, you have to live your life, right. And you can't live your life with a therapist following you around. I mean, these are all things that I struggle with just in my day to day life. Um, and, and, you know, I've gone through all the training and and all that kind of stuff to do it. But, um, you know, I, I say to people, you T- keep a record. So at the end of every day, you know, or like as you're going through your day, write down when you find yourself thinking this this way. Write down what the thought is, and write down what's happening. And then that way, the next week in a session, or then two weeks later, or whatever, we can really look at it, and look at it like it's written material. Okay, you know, here's what the thought was. Here's what the event was. You know, and and do they correspond? Well, I felt, you know, my thought is. I'm such a stupid idiot. And the event was, you know, I made a C on a test. Okay, well, let's look at that. If you were talking about somebody else, would you have that same thought if they did poorly on a test? You know, would you have that same thought about them? No. Okay, well, so what makes it, you know, okay for you to say that about yourself? Is it realistic? And people actually are really good at kind of stepping back once time has passed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, we, it's hard for us to do it in the moment. But once we've kind of gotten removed from it, and it gives people, I think, a little bit more control so that when that happens again, now they're equipped with, oh, you know, I'm not a stupid idiot. I probably should have studied harder. Or I probably should have put more work into that paper um, or, you know, I probably should have tried harder or whatever it is um, so that the negative thoughts aren't so all consuming. Does that make sense?
0: Having it right in front of you and and putting it down to paper that you go, oh, yeah, this isn't as versus it being in your head with a million other things is just.
1: Cause it all gets jumbled together. Right. I mean, it's like what you just said, you know, it all gets kind of jumbled together and then you can't really figure out where did the thought come from? Well, maybe it's just, you know, my depression or anxiety or whatever it is. Um, and, and so then it's just kind of a jumbled mess that you don't really have a lot of control over. And so that's part of it is to try to help people maintain that control because we do have control. It's just, we think so much in any given day that it's hard to stop and
0: do that on our own when someone is saying um you know I want to kill myself or I want to end my life is that what they really are saying like is you know what I mean like um because I found like like there's a difference between someone saying I want to I'm going to kill myself versus I want to kill myself versus I don't want to live here anymore or even um Who was that guy on SNP? Pete Davidson. Yeah. So people phrase it in so many different ways. And I wonder if the way they're phrasing it taps into uh, a a different motives or a different. um, Does that make sense what I'm asking you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It it does make sense. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what exactly. I'm not exactly sure how to answer that. I think one thing that I think is tricky in today's world um, and, and like, you know, with, with Pete Davidson is sort of what happens with social media and and people who have celebrity status like he does and, you know, how there are a lot of people following those people and, you know, trying to figure out um, what, what is it that, I mean, obviously, when anybody expresses the desire to not be alive anymore, whether it's that they want to kill themselves or they don't want to exist anymore, or they just, you know, feel like life isn't worth living or they feel worthless, um, uh, any of that, I think, warrants attention for sure um, to try to get there's obviously some kind of deep pain at the root of it, whatever it may be. Um, and, and I think that it really has to be determined kind of on a case by case basis to see, you know, is this person actually planning to do something or are they kind of the the smart part of their mind is kicking in to say, I'm going to say this out loud so that somebody can help me.
0: It's a cry, right? The cry for help and just letting people know how much you need help and, uh, right, exactly. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah. Because I think it's hard for people to articulate pain. You know, it's hard to say I'm feeling really deep emotional distress. Mm-hmm. I think that's hard for a lot of people. And so that's I think sometimes where those kinds of statements can kick in.
0: Right. We we do have this very um, all or nothing language around emotions like I'm, I'm pissed. I'm angry. Mm-hmm. I want to die. I hate you kids always saying I hate you.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> versus, you know, no kids ever like, I'm really uncomfortable with this conversation, or I'm 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 really uh, frustrated or um, bothered. You know, like the the gray areas Mm -hmm. are the the nuances of our uh, emotions and um, which is
1: most of our emotion,
0: (laughs) right? Which is right, most of our emotions in the gray area, but we don't have Uh an extended vocabulary for it, so we reach for the far ends. Is there, you know, is it? I mean, in you would think that that would be something that would be taught in schools uh, be- before we become adults, and then we're just stuck with this limited emotional uh, vocabulary. I, yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: with you know, because you you have three boys, and then you're working with kids uh, in, in school. When you know, and and suicide rates amongst the youth are increasing. When uh-huh when you have these situations, because I've been reading about these cluster suicides with kids, where one kid com- completes suicide in a school, what, you know, it, within weeks, you usually follow right behind, right? Um, yep. What are things that parents can do uh, to uh, inoculate their kids from that? Or things that kids can do, you know, uh, when, when that type, like, how do they, you know, I I don't, I don't know if that's two separate questions, but, you know, especially for the parents, like what, what are the things that the parents can say or do to make, to make sure that their kid, um, you know, is able to, to grow past that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and certainly that is something that is, of a lot of concern for, for, you know, most parents. I think that it is complicated by the fact that talking, well, I think for us as people talking about death in our culture is, is taboo, right? We don't like to talk about death. Um, Death is too scary. Now, now we're all going at some point, but nobody likes, we don't like to talk about it. And certainly, you know, when you are looking at something like suicide, we, Certainly don't want to talk about it. Um, I mean, and that's, you know, that's one of the issues um, with looking at suicide statistics is that there is an underreporting of suicide, right? Because there are many suicides that are classified as quote unquote accidents when really, you know, truth be told, if you were to get inside that person, they did it on purpose. you know, they purposefully did something to end their life. It's classified as an accident, but actually it was a suicide. Um, and so, so, you know, so that makes it tricky. I think in terms of looking at kids and how as parents to try to handle talking to kids about suicide is, you know, it is really to try to figure out how as a parent to be okay with having an open and honest conversation, Mm. um, and talking about, and it's hard because, you know, I'm just, just trying to kind of think about it right now it's hard to have that conversation without coming across as having some kind of judgment, right? Cause we don't want to say, Oh, well, you know, that person was weak. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, then you're just further stigmatizing that pain that that That's person good. experienced. So trying to be okay with, you know, having that conversation and really, I mean, the thing that I try to, tell my kids the thing that I try to work with parents on and try to tell adults I work with is, you know, no one can help you if you're not alive. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you're not here and I've had some clients before who have expressed thoughts of suicide. I had a guy that I worked with years ago. He even kind of had a plan that was a while out and it was like, look, you know, I, I we, I can't help. You. There's no chance if you're not here so you know you're just cutting off any kind of option and so really trying to help kids and adults be okay with reaching out be okay with you know talking about distress and looking at i mean from what we know about therapy and and mental health there's so many different things that can provide help and assistance and and relief for even the most awful of circumstances but you've got to give it a chance to, to work. You've got to give it a chance to, you know, find the right therapist or find somebody who will listen, who will help you or, you know, find a different way of approaching life. And you you can't do that if you do something that ends your life.
0: Right. Um, I, and, and so it,
1: being OK with that.
0: The I, I, and what's interesting is the image that comes to my mind is. Uh, you know, parents oftentimes have the the deepest, most uh, intimate conversations with their kids at bedtime. You know, they're tucking them in. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's when you kind of get a sense for something's wrong or you know, maybe you picked it up at dinner and you know they didn't yeah. didn't eat their favorite food or whatever, but you know, then right. was the right time and but at bedtime and um, for for I guess, I guess for a parent, who's sitting on the bed and the, and the child is in bed and and the parent can feel that the child wants to talk about what's just, what's the, is there, what's the opening question for the, that the parent can ask the kid in terms of, you know, I I noticed that you're feeling a little sad or did you want to talk about it? Like, what's that, what's the initial entry point for?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think any of those are good. I think really any, any, any conversation starter is a good entry point. I think, too, what I think is important um, and what I try to tell parents is it's okay also as a parent to let your kid know that you're upset by something. Wow you know, so like let's say and you know, like in these there you know, and I was reading something the other day, I don't know if this is the same thing that you're referring to about a, a town where there were have been like three teenage suicides in the last like six or eight months. Right. right. And so you're a parent in that community and that is scary and awful. And so, you know, at being okay with being honest with your kid and saying, you know, we have been talking about what's happening in the community. I know, you know, about these three kids. I am really just broken up and devastated about mm. what is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and kind of, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of like modeling, right? It's showing your kids that it's okay to talk about it. Um, and it's probably going to make them uncomfortable, but it's okay for kids to be uncomfortable because we as adults have to be uncomfortable. Um, and so trying to open the door now, certainly we don't want our kids to feel like they have to comfort us. But you can do it in a way, I mean, I think you can do it in a way that helps promote them talking to you about what their feelings are. Mm-hmm. You know, using that as kind of a connection point and an example to to open the door to talking about what's bothering them.
0: Kids uh, and and just people in general who who are depressed. We, we, we were talking about that earlier and like, you know, I, I'm not going to get out of bed. I failed the test. Like, what are some of the things that? Uh, is there a difference between how kids display depression versus how adults display depression? Is it the same?
1: Um, it's it can be different, um, and it's it is complicated. Mental disorders in general in kids are a little bit different because kids don't necessarily have the thought process or the cognitive awareness that adults have. So, what we see in depression in kids a lot of times focuses on things like physical complaints, so stomach aches, um, headaches, I don't feel good, um, that kind of thing, which for most parents, you know, any time your kid complains of a stomach ache, it can be anything from, what did you eat last night, to, oh, here comes the stomach bug for the whole family, right. to, you know, depression or anxiety, or you're being bullied, or something like that. Um, and so we see a lot of that, which is hard for parents to identify. Um, and I've worked with a lot of kids who have gone through kind of the medical, um, you know, referral process. You go to the, they go to the pediatrician, they can't find anything. They go to the gastroenterologist, they can't find anything, and they come in and. You know, the parents are incredibly reluctant to see a psychologist because they think, well, no, there's something physically wrong. Well, yes, there's something physically wrong. Your child does have a stomachache, but let's look at what is else is going on. Once they get into like 13, 14, 15, they start to have a little bit more of the kind of cognitive awareness of their thoughts and be able to articulate that if they're going to talk. Teenagers boys and girls are not the most communicative to adults anyway. And so they're not as likely to say, they may communicate to their friends, but they're not as likely to say to mom or dad or a teacher, Hey, this is, you know, I'm feeling really blue, um, more in adults, the, the kind of ability to recognize, you know, I really don't feel well. I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to stay in bed. I'm sad all the time and that kind of stuff.
0: And, and in, you know, going back or staying on a topic of like depression is different in children than in adults. Um, What about uh, ADHD and bipolar? Does that, um, are, are, do those two get confused a lot in children?
1: Yeah, those do get confused a lot. Um, And and really, so... mental disorders in children are are really kind of complicated, right? Because there is, there's ADHD, but then there's also like what I call sort of normal responses to society, right? We live in an instant gratification society. We have access to information at any given time on our cell phones. We don't have to wait for anything. Um, And so a lot of those kinds of normal processes sometimes get confused as ADHD. Plus, when you look at kids, you have to think about, I mean, not to get off topic, but you have to think about kind of the setup of the American education system and kids are required to, you know, sit still for six hours a day and listen. And oftentimes kids struggle with that. So any kind of like abnormality in terms of attention or activity level can often get misdiagnosed as ADHD. With bipolar disorder, what we see in addition to the depression is what we call mania, um, which is this kind of expansive, like, euphoria where people are very impulsive and, you know, don't make the best decisions and think they're invincible, um, which, you know, gets confusing in kids and adolescents because it, it is often kind of overdiagnosed and through, through our diagnostic process, they're trying to rein that in a little bit to, to see, okay, well, let's really reserve that for, you know, who, who truly has bipolar disorder because when you give everybody or you give a bunch of people a diagnosis, then it kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of muddies the waters about who actually has it and how do we best help these kids? Right. Is it bipolar disorder or is it, you know, a response to their environment or is it, you know, just kind of difficulty regulating moods and that kind of stuff.
0: Even diet. I, I noticed that like when I eat processed sugars, my mood yeah. completely <laughs> changes. And so many children I was at, when I was in Vegas, I saw kids who were like, you know, they they were in this cheerleading squad and their cheerleading outfits, but they had to be like maybe 10, 11, and they're lying at Starbucks, ordering lattes and coffees, right. and and I'm just like you're, you're you're putting sugar and caffeine in a ten mm-hmm. year old who has enough right. energy naturally. <laughs>
1: <And> <laughs> right. Yeah. The, exactly. And now what's happening
0: your, <laughs> for your regular and, choice? Yeah or whatever.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I, and I think we're starting to see that not, I think we're starting to see that more just in terms of like processed food and how it affects us and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But certainly, you know, when I was a kid, like coffee was something that my grandparents drank. It it was not something that, you know, was kind of fun and had a bunch of like whipped cream on it and that you could buy around the corner. There was no, none of that. Um, when, when we were coming along for sure.
0: So is there, how do you separate that? You know, when kids come in with issues and yeah. uh, are, are you're, you're asking dietary questions, is there a protocol for let's change their diet at all? I mean, I don't even know if you have that type of, um, uh, influence, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to, uh, um, but how much does that come into play, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I think in what I do, you know, and what we do as psychologists, I think it plays a role for sure, but I think it's hard because I don't have that kind of training. Right. right? I, I, I mean, I know what works for me and, and I know what works for my own kids. I also know that, you know, my kids probably don't have the best diet, um i have a child who will remain nameless who has (laughs) eaten a vegetable like since birth like when you could you know spoon feed him green beans he would spit them out um and i don't you know i don't know what to do about it um i talked to the pediatrician and say do we need to be concerned she says he's, he's growing you know he's meeting his milestones surely maybe he'll eat a green bean, uh, as an adult. So we just, you know, we're kind of waiting to see. Um, but in terms of like evaluations, things like caffeine and sugar are certainly something that I want to ask about. Mm -hmm. Um, I I try to be careful. I think a lot of parents who bring their kids in for things like attention problems, a lot of times parents know that they probably shouldn't be giving the kids what they're giving. Mm-hmm. Right, they shouldn't be necessarily having their kids have all the sugar that they're having, or ha- taking them to Starbucks and that kind of thing. But you know, sometimes life gets kind of habitual sometimes, and it gets hard to to break those cycles. So I try to be gentle in making suggestions about dietary changes. But but I will suggest to parents sometimes, well, you might want to you know talk to a pediatrician, talk to a dietitian to maybe try to see. Is there something di- dietary that's going on? I think, too, the other thing I want to mention about diet is that I think there's a lot of misconceptions about for things like ADHD or autism and that kind of stuff. And right. I think we have to be careful when we, you know, kind of, I, I, but like we do with it, we have to be careful when we over rely on I any f- single solution to complicated problems.
0: Right, absolutely. Um, And, you know, working with kids, so much social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, things like that. And uh, do you see that contributing to suicidal ideations or depression or helping? You know, there's so many apps where it's like, oh, you know, you you, know, know, are we over relying on social media to get us through things or.
1: I, I, I. I mean, I personally think that social media is one of those things that has kind of exploded and now we're trying to react to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe they could have. I don't know if Mark Zuckerberg could have predicted <laughs> that, you know, Facebook would be where it is today, right? <laughs> I don't know if, you know, the, the founders of Twitter knew kind of where we would be. Right. Um, and, and so now we're having to react to it. I think that... I, I think that it can be it it, you know it really is about how it's used um I think there's good and bad Mm. um there are probably contributions to depression and suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation but there's also helpful things you know there's places where people can reach out and connect um I mean that's how you and I connected right you know I came and saw you and followed you on Twitter and was like, hey, you know, can't wait to watch your career. And oh, you have this podcast and how cool, you know, so there's like positive aspects that can't be denied um, either. So I think it's hard. I think it's complicated by the kids who are consumers of social media Mm -hmm. with parents who have no idea what's going on. I mean, I'm one of those, right? (laughs) I'm constantly like, telling my kids, well, now, wait, what is this app you're on and how yes. is, how does this work? I don't understand how this works. And why are you taking pictures of, you know, the ground and sending it to your friend? This doesn't make any sense to me. Just like logically, it makes no sense. Um, and so trying to kind of figure it out and provide guidance, I think is, is hard, is hard as a parent. Um, But I certainly think that there are there is a lot of positive. There is a lot of, you know, kind of good parts of social media that that I think, you know, can outweigh the bad. I I do think that, yes, people get very kind of socially competitive and, you know, you see pictures of something that uh, you wish, you know, your house could be as clean as somebody else's or, you know, you weren't invited to some party, but you know, I mean, that that kind of stuff, I think, has been going on forever. It's just manifested in a different way.
0: Right. There, There's so many people like like we said at the top to kind of circle things back that um, are not going to therapy or not making the phone call or not reaching out, not talking mm-hmm. to someone. Yeah. And they have different reasons for it, whether uh, the embarrassment, the shame, uh, or they just feel like they can handle it, things like that. Uh, what's your response to that? Like what, like, what are some of the things that, what are some of the reasons why people aren't getting the help? And then what, what can we say to those people uh, to, to nudge them or encourage them?
1: Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of reasons why people aren't. I think there's a lot of um kind of confusion and misconceptions about mental health and about talking about mood and talking about suicide there. Are, I think there's a huge misconception, you know, that if you say to somebody, I'm thinking about suicide, that they're going to you know, ship you off and put you in a hospital somewhere. And that'll be that um, like you, you know, like you see in the movies, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say, you know, especially to people who have these thoughts, it's okay to talk about it. You know, try to find somebody, whether it is, I mean, uh, of course, as a psychologist, I'm a big believer in therapy. I, I think that, you know, the, I think the world would probably be a better place if we all had therapy um, and access to therapy, but it's a very complicated solution um, in our country with mental health care. But I, I think that, you know, it's okay to reach out. It's okay to talk to somebody, even if it's you know, a close friend or someone you trust just to, to try to, you you can't get control over something if you try to pretend like it doesn't exist. So, you know, if you're having thoughts, pushing them back out of your mind is not going to make them go away. And if anything, it's going to make them worse and it's going to make them that much more powerful because you're not really doing anything to try to, to change it. Um, So trying to just, you know, Reach out in some way and and make a connection uh, to get some kind of support.
0: Yesterday, you know, I was on the road for a week and I come back and uh, I came back to a lot of bills and some unexpected financial <laughs> bills. Uh-huh. I really felt anxiety uh-huh. and overwhelmed and like, oh yeah. my god! I thought we took care of this and blah blah blah. And. I just wanted to like stuff them in a drawer and ignore it and be like, I'll handle that in a week, right. two weeks a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was like, and one of the things I have on my dry erase board is, uh, stop avoiding, you know, confront, address, mm-hmm. engage. Yeah. And so I was like, <sighs> and I was like, all right, call <laughs> these people, find out what's really going on, get it cleared up. Yeah. And just make this yeah. just. And it, it's interesting, like the same thing with getting mental health help. Uh, yeah. it's the same thing in terms of addressing my getting financial help was like I had to make the phone call to the company, to
1: absolutely.
0: Uh, uh, and once I made the phone call and and took some steps, I felt much better. I mean, I still got to pay the bill, but you know, right. I feel like all right, this is something it's that less you know, scary. It's less scary. And, you know, I was able to break uh-huh. the campus down, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, all right, I addressed it. It's done. It's not It's not as big as what I thought it was. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So.
1: Uh, yeah. And it's interesting. There's actually some research that shows that people with depression experience a significant amount of relief just after they make that first appointment phone call. Not after they first see a therapist, but just wow. after they get it scheduled. Wow. Because they have done something to help sort of regain control, right? They pick up the phone, they call somebody, and they get an appointment scheduled, and that has value for them.
0: That's so true. It's like even like with the yoga thing this morning, as soon as I scheduled the the class, I was like, all Mm -hmm. right, doing this, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I schedule it and I don't go. But the initial (laughs) scheduling paying for it makes me feel like I've already done exactly. it. Like, you've, oh, done,
1: something. Feel, I feel yeah. you've yeah. done something you've to, done something to help you. Uh-huh exactly. I've got it on my schedule, then I'm good, right? It's like I've planned what we're having for dinner. That's great. Right. We're in good yeah. shape. Well, I still have to like buy the food and cook it and clean up. but let's don't think about that. Dinner yes, it's planned.
0: <laughs> the, uh, the last thing I want to say is like I said, you have and like or like you said also, you have three children, you have a husband. Uh, and you, you have a full-time job, w- what do you do to get your needs met, to take care of yourself, to renew, recharge, and uh, re-energize yourself?
1: Yeah, so uh, it kind of depends on the day, but I do drink a lot of coffee, um, but I try to balance it by drinking a lot of water. Right? <laughs> I try to sort of myself in check um I do run but I don't like to exercise mm. so I kind of like what you're saying with the yoga I try to plan sometimes I follow through on the plan and sometimes I don't mm-hmm. but um I you know try to do that just to kind of check out clear my head um I listen to music uh oh, you okay. know and of course right <laughs> huh
0: you said you like really loud music, right? I do. What yeah. Kind of
1: loud, music? obnoxious music. Oh, just, the, you know, just whatever's like the most obnoxious. Like <laughs> 80s pop, 90s rap, like just whatever is kind of on Spotify. It's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but just, and, you know, I try to kind of sneak in like little moments, you know, where if I'm doing stuff for work, then I'll try to like check out and, you know, see what's happening on Twitter without getting like roped into, you know, all of a sudden an hour has passed. I mean, I try to kind of just do like little things here and there. Um, I wish I had more like exciting, I would love to learn some hobbies at some point, but To start a hobby, like to start knitting or something from start to finish right now is uh, not in the, the, it's just, it's just damage control right now to kind (laughs) of keep myself in check. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right right you know baby steps baby right. steps right and it's you know? like we
1: talked about it earlier sort of those hierarchy of needs it's like just yeah. I just want those basic needs kind of met right now
0: and what's at the top of the hierarchy of needs what's at the is it what was it self-actualization Yeah,
1: so it's self-actualization it's, which is yeah. kind of this broad concept um but something that Maslow felt like we were all Kind of striving for achieving, becoming like I kind of think about it as being like the best version of yourself, whatever gifts you bring, right. sort of sharing that with other people, that kind of stuff
0: the 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 last question I always ask is, uh, you know, they always feel like there's someone who's listening who's on a precipice of uh, completing suicide. and um, and so before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person?
1: Yeah. So I would say, you know, find somebody in your world that doesn't have to be somebody that you're like currently connected with. It can be, you know, somebody at the grocery store, but find somebody to really and really look at them and see them and try to connect with them. Even if it's just, you know, a genuine, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. Um, try to make that connection with somebody because there are people in the world who care about you that you may, you probably, if you're to the point where you're on the brink right. of of suicide, you know, you probably don't even know who those people are or you know remember them or think about them. But try to make a connection with somebody. Um, in in this world, because I I think there's a lot of value to be had in that kind of human connection that when people get really down and really dark and feeling really kind of worthless and and hopeless, I think there's a lot to be said about connecting with somebody else, um, in, in a way that, you know, can help taking those steps back out of that dark, dark place.
0: You know, let me tell you what's so powerful about what you just said. I've read so many stories about people who um, have, who plan their, um, plan on taking their life and and they mm-hmm. the note where they say, you know, if someone stops and says hi to me be, before I get to the bridge and jump, then I won't jump. Or right. if somebody... Right you know, just acknowledges Mm -hmm. me that I won't, you know, complete it. And, but what I hear you saying is when you, when you do feel like you're at the edge and at the, at the last bit is to take the action yourself in connecting with someone versus passively waiting for someone to acknowledge you you take the time and energy to acknowledge someone else and it could be a stranger and that feeling of connection because that's really what you want. Right. You want to right. be it goes back to being seen and being heard. And absolutely. sometimes we have to make right. the effort ourselves to have that need met versus
1: yeah, absolutely. someone
0: will say hi or come, you know, over to our part of the, the you know.
1: Mhm right and kind of save us. Yeah, absolutely, right? Because I mean that's what that what what you're talking about in terms of, you know, putting that in in notes or whatever is, you know, that's that desperation for human connection. And it's it it you have I mean you can wait for it to happen, but you also can initiate it yourself. There's nothing wrong with you know, going to your postman and saying, "Hey, how are you?" I mean there you know there there was some story recently about a FedEx guy who found a man who had collapsed in his home and had been there for five days. And the FedEx man realized that, you know, he, his package was still on there. He broke in the guy like they took the guy to the hospital because nobody had realized it like we we just need human connection we're all on this earth together and i think sometimes yeah sometimes we want to wait for it to happen to us but sometimes we can take just those little steps it doesn't have to be anything big you don't have to you know call a therapist or call a suicide hotline those things are great and that's what they're set up for but it can even be you know just somebody walking by on the street and saying hello and realizing that we're you know all kind of on this earth together
0: fantastic Thank you, Dr. Lee Bear, for uh, taking his time yeah. out to be on a podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Where can people find you, reach out to you if they want to utilize your services?
1: Yeah, so I have a website that has, I think, all of my information on it. It is um, so com.
0: Fant- simple and easy right there. And I'll put
1: that <laughs> that's right. Keep it simple.
0: <laughs> in the show notes. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Thank you listeners out there for for listening. And we will talk to you soon.